Okay, so in the third week of this series, I want to just start by unpacking God's heart for people. As you look in Scripture, you start in Genesis and you go all the way to Revelation, it's not hard to look and to see that God loves people, that God loves his people. God's heart is for people. And then you look at it and, it, and, it, what, and we want to ask ourselves, what does that mean for God's church? If God loves people, what does it mean for his church? And so if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 22, and also if you want to put your finger over in Micah 6 as well, we're going to be in those two, those are going to be our two main texts today, I think. But before we get there, I want to start this morning by just first exposing to you the heart of God in case we needed a reminder or maybe we didn't know because there's people in this room that are going through things that are unspeakable. There's things that are, we've, we've been jaded by. There's things that you don't know about God that the Bible reveals about God. There's things, this, this is one book that you'll never master. And so I love it. That's why it says the Bible is a living word. And so let's look at this today and let's see how God's, what God's heart for his people are. And so I just want to blow through some scriptures. I'm not going to ask you to turn there because you're not fast enough. I'm not sure if you have any Baptist Bible drill champions in here, but you still ain't going to be fast enough because we're just going to put them on the screen and we're going to go bam, 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 bam. Okay, so just look at the screen and I want you to notice the heart of God in the scriptures that we're going to show. And don't, don't take me wrong. These are just an excerpt of a few scriptures. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that reveal the heart of God to his people. That's the entire Bible, okay? So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 3. It says, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the, seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He's concerned about our suffering. Psalms eleven seven. for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. Psalm 68, he's a father to the fatherless, a fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Psalm 76, 72. He will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for, pre for precious is their blood in his sight. Psalms 146. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Do you see a consistency in how God's heart is for the people? The oppressed, the hurt, the broken, the lost. All those different types of people that he looks at, the orphan, the widow, all these things that you see Jesus and you see God um, caring about. And so now I want to turn our, 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 our kind of our focus inward for just a second because as God's image bearers, as an image bearer of God, which you all are, he has called us to be his ambassadors of righteousness and justice to the world. You see that? Because you're created in his image, Whenever he redeems you to himself through his son Jesus, you've now been set as an ambassador to the world of, of righteousness and justice. And what happens is, even from the very beginning, we're going to read this in a second, Genesis 18. It's going to be on the screen again. This has been God's plan from the very beginning with his people to redeem them back to himself. If you're a follower of Jesus in here today, you have been labeled as Abraham's seed. You've been, that's your, you've been kind of grafted into that, into that, um, Category. 
You've been grafted into Israel. You're Abraham's seed. And you have been tasked with that same responsibility. Right? And so let's look at Genesis 18, 19. It says this. For I've chosen him. He's talking about Abraham. God's talking about Abraham here. He said, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he had promised. And so it's our job to carry out righteousness and justice, to be advocates for the broken, the poor, the lost, the hungry, the homeless, the foreigner, the orphan, all these things. And it's God's job to be faithful to his covenant. It's our job to be obedient to the Lord. It's our job to open the scripture, to dig into the word and read it as a book to, to, to change our hearts, to, to align our hearts with God, not, to, not as a book of suggestions or not as, as a self-help book, but as a sanctifying word of God to change our hearts, which if you get down to it, Jeremiah said, is the, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It's important to understand that's our job. We believe that according to the scripture, that every human being in this room, in this world, outside of their living on the streets, the ones in the mansions, the ones that are homeless, the ones that are overseas, the ones that are in prison, all the people, the drug addicts, the drug dealers, the Christians, everybody has, has listen, has dignity and they, have, they need to be treated with respect, with fairness, no matter who they are. Because we're created in the image of God. If you're an image bearer of God, we all have equal value and have the right to be treated that way. No matter who we are, what you look like, what we look like, where they live, how they smell, what they talk about, anything. Listen, we are called to love and and, and treat people with fairness, but that's not how our world operates, is it? It's not. Here's the sad part. That's not how the church has operated either. We've taken on the, the culture around us instead of resetting the culture from the inside. The God, God told us to go out and, and make disciples of all nations. And that, that means go out and, and infect the culture. Go out and change the environment. Change the atmosphere in places that you're in. Make disciples. Put my heart in other people's hearts. And what happens if you see healthy churches being raised up, if you look in areas where there's healthy disciples being made, you'll start seeing crime go down. You'll start seeing the, the, the area just shift and the change. That's not how the church has done it. We've become consumers, and we come to church just like we go to Walmart. Give me this, give me that, give me this, and then I'm going to go home. We haven't seen the side of Jesus that says, anyone who wants to be my disciple must die. Must die. Come before, bear the cross, die. And listen, humans... And this is what's so sad is that human beings, like me included, I've done this my entire life, and this is like the essence of sin, I guess. We constantly redefine the the definition of good and evil to meet our own agenda, right? We justify our sin. We justify this. We justify that. God loves me. He has grace upon me, all these things. The weaker someone is, the easier it is for us to take advantage of them. Unfortunately, the church has just kind of fallen in line with that as as this ugly, just this culture has just kind of rolled over people. And we've kind of stood idly by as these things, these injustices have happened and keep happening over and over and over again all around us for so long. And sometimes we've fallen into the same practices. And we hide, by our, we hide behind our churches. We hide behind our political beliefs. We hide behind all these different things that, that, that make no sense to the, to the scripture that I read. 
And I look at this, and what, what, this, what this does is it creates injustices in our communities and even in our cultures where people get overlooked and pushed to the edges of our society and looked at as unimportant, even by the church. And that's why you see so many people being hurt by the church, because they didn't fit the mold of what the church, what that particular church was looking for. And that's sad. And so looking at Genesis 18 that we just looked at, my question that I want to answer for us today is, what does it mean to be righteous and just? Like, what does it mean to be righteous and just? If you look in context of, of that scripture, the biblical word for, for righteous in that context is, is zedekah. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that it means, it's an ethical standard that refers to being in right relationships between people. It's, a, it's an ethical word. And it means treating every person as the image of God. It means not looking down on anyone. It means giving them the God-given dignity that they deserve, not, not overlooking people who look differently or sin differently than you, not judging someone because they've fallen into sin, but to love people, to guide people back to the Father, not to judge them because we're not the judge. We're, we're called to love people. We're called to go out and share the gospel with people. We're called to love our brothers and sisters. And this is what brings me back to Matthew 22. If you want to look at verse 37 to 40, and some of you will be like, why are we here? This doesn't make sense. Well, I'll bring it back in a second, okay? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So we can spend a whole couple weeks on that just by going through that. But if you, ha if you have your Bible out, like if you don't already have them circled, circle all the alls in that, in that sentence. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. I'm still working on that. I'm not sure about y'all, <laughs> okay? It's a process. Thank goodness for sanctification, right? Verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to circle something else, as yourself is an important word there. Verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. <laughs> all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is... I don't want to get too deep in this, but this is like a truth bomb, like a, just a grenade Jesus is throwing into this, this crowd. And it's like, look, everything that you've been trying to follow, all these hundreds and hundreds of law that you've been trying to walk on for so long, you can, you can fulfill all of them by carrying out these two. You know what I mean? They don't want to hear that. We're not going that way, though. But then there's justice. That's, there's righteousness. Then there's justice. The biblical word for justice is mishpah. This is actually more, uh, if you want to get technical with it, it's more accurately translated to, to restorative justice. I'm, I'm going to restore someone back to the dignity that they deserve. What, what, is, what this does is it goes a step further than the, than, than, and what it does is it seeks out the vulnerable people around you who are being taken advantage of, who are, or who needs help. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's more of a, I'm going to go after those people. Instead of just sitting back and saying, uh, if you need help, you can just come over here. Or you can, uh, just, the church is here. This is, what, this is where we've fallen into for a very long time. Everybody knows where the church is. Come to the church. We'll help you out. That's not the way the Bible talks about it. We go out. We go seek those people out. We go, we go restore. We're looking for restorative justice to come alive in the body of Christ. And it means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and those without a voice to help prevent injustices, not just going to those places where injustices are already happening. It's us spending our life to see injustices not happen. 
It's spending our life to see Jesus come alive in a community and seeing him change the culture and the fabric of the, of the community and spreading it out from there. In Micah 6.8, y'all, y'all turn there, uh, Micah 6.8, my favorite verses in scripture. It says, he has shown you, oh man, what is good. He being God, God has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And this is where Jesus comes in. This is where he comes into the picture. God sought you out when you were dead in your sin. He, he might still be seeking some of us today. When we were lost, with no hope, we were defeated, full of guilt, full of shame, nothing to offer God but our sin and our need. And in that moment, through Jesus, God declared righteousness and justice over our life when we didn't deserve it. And that's a good thing, right? That's great. Listen, if you had put your faith in Jesus here this morning, if you've partaken in the free gift of salvation by grace through faith, then the only reasonable response is for you to go and seek righteousness and justice for other people. That's the only reasonable response. And the reason we don't in the church in the 21st century is because it takes too much time out of our schedule. It's inconvenient, and it's not easy. It makes me feel uncomfortable to talk to somebody I don't know. It makes me uncomfortable to talk with somebody who's homeless because they don't look like me, and, and I might get seen here, and it doesn't work right. Listen, it, listen, I want to give you a fact. It usually will not be convenient to follow God. Can we just go ahead and get that off the table? It usually will never be comfortable to follow God. Ask Paul. It usually will never be about you and getting the recognition. But that's why a lot of Christians stray away from serving in communities that are that are broken, lost, and just broken down. There's no there's no glorification in that. There's no recognition in that. There's no comfort in that. There's no there's no uh, convenience in that. I have to change my plans to do what God's called me to do. Are you kidding me? Uh, listen, I, it's enough for me just to get to church. No, listen. God's called us to die to ourselves, and ourselves include our schedules. Our, our self includes our, our, all, all the things that those things happen. Listen, it's, it's about making other people's problems our problem too. It's not about me carrying their load for them. It's about me helping carry their load. Listen, God hasn't given me the grace to carry somebody else's load, but I'm meant to carry that load with them. He's given me the power to do that and given me the, the Holy Spirit to walk alongside and be discerning in that. And this is what makes Jesus... This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 22 when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't know how many of you guys are friends with me, but I like me a lot. Listen, and I, I can probably tell you if, if you looked in your mirror and like you start looking at yourself, look at your, look at your pay stub or your, or your checkbook or does people still have checkbooks? Okay. All right. If you look at your account online or if you look at these things, you can see that you like you a lot too, Right? How many people's got a haircut in the last month, right? How many people have got to took a shower, hopefully today, right? Okay, listen, we like ourselves a lot because we care for ourselves. We buy stuff for ourselves. My Amazon account is sickening, you know what I mean? Listen, we love what we, we love us. And listen, it says love your neighbor. And listen, the neighbor was someone outside the church. It wasn't a brother or a sister in that moment. A neighbor was somebody that wasn't on the inside of me. 
It wasn't my buddy. It wasn't my, my brother or my sister. It was somebody that was just kind of walking along the street that I've never met before. And listen, I'm supposed to love that person like me? Well, that doesn't make sense. And this blew their minds, and it blows my mind every time I read it and think about that. Because it's important that we understand that doing justice, loving mercy, and walking with God humbly is the desire of God's heart because it's what he's put in us to do for the world because we are his ambassadors to see the world come to him. We are called to love people to bring them to the feet of Jesus. And as a church, we believe, according to Scripture, that doing justice is more than just serving once a month in kids or guest services or going out to serve at you know, Chatham Apartments or or working in a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving or, 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 or buying some book bag stuff for them. And, you know, because a lot of times what happens in churches, people like to sit on the sidelines. But when it comes to buying a book bag for a homeless kid, we'll do that. And that'll get us through the next six months of our religious itch. Right? The same thing happens with this Christmas service day. You know, we go through these motions just saying, hey, God's going to love me now. God's going to do it. No, God has called us to pour our lives out. Because what I've been talking to Savannah about, you know, over the course of a few months is that the urgency of time is just hitting me hard because I'm realizing that I'm getting older and I'm watching my kids grow so fast and I'm watching our relationship progress so fast and we've been married for, you know, over five years, going on six years. It's crazy how fast things have happened. And, and a lot of y'all have been married for a lot longer. Like, well, like, this is a kid up here preaching. Whatever. But I'm saying, listen, this is my testimony, Okay. So um, what I'm saying is that God has been showing me, like, time is short. Like, how, and, I, and I start thinking about, like, how much time have I wasted just this week? How many times have I wasted where I could have been digging in this book and I chose to watch the next episode of, of my latest Netflix binge? Yeah? What a... How much time have I wasted, you know, just going to Walmart and walking around and just loving on people? Instead of, I mean, listen, God can, he wants to use us to, to reach this community if we're here. And listen, it's time for us to not waste time. Listen, we believe what's happening is it's time for us to take up the cause of the vulnerable in our city. It's time for us to start taking up the cause of the hurting the, and the broken and the lost. And, and a lot of us are getting uncomfortable because it's, it's what happens whenever we start talking about these things because we believe that doing justice, like I said, is the way that we fulfill the commands to love God and to love our neighbor. Like if we're, if we're doing justice, loving justice, if we're walking righteously, we are, we are carrying out God's plan and his fulfillment and the command that he's given us to love God and to love our neighbors. And so what this type of living means is this cannot be squeezed into the margins of a life of a Christian. This can't be squeezed. I, you know, Casey Lager may call you and say, hey, I need you to serve at Chatham Apartment this week. Can you do it? Let me look at my schedule. I, I, got, I got maybe 30 minutes on a Saturday. I might be able to, I might, might. Pencil me in, but don't, I'm not committing. Right? So that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the mentality that we walk in, in our faith sometimes when it comes to like serving the community, loving the community. And I'm not saying this church is the only place that you can serve the community. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you're trying to find a foot in, a foot in the door, this is a great place to start. So don't hear that. But this is what happens. It, last week we talked about first generation, second generation. 
The reason why you see a lot of churches preaching a good sermon, having a beautiful service, but not affecting the community is because usually they're a second generation church that has lost the mission and vision. Their mission and vision is building a church, not being in the church. That's the heart. And this is, this is what I'm saying. We have to see this. You have to see this if you're a Christian in this place. If, you, if your faith hasn't caused you to rearrange your life, if your faith has not caused you to make adjustments in your life, it's worth, I'm not saying this is the truth, but it is worth evaluating whether your faith is true and real. It is. It's worth evaluating. Check yourself. Say, God, where am I at? Like, listen, I got saved when I was 10. God, I don't know if, where am I at in this? God, show me, and he'll show you. Because nearly every time God judged Israel in the Old Testament, if you look back in the Old Testament, he mentions that they had not cared for the marginalized people around them. You, but they have overlooked them, stepped on them, rolled over them. And the critical question that I want to ask you today is how will our city, our country, our world be different because Connection Church Savannah existed? Will, will it be? Are we thinking that big or are we thinking small? How, how will it be different? Will we make a difference in the way that we're living? Are we going to be inwardly focused? Are we going to love our neighbor as ourselves? Are we going to spend our time and our, our treasure and our talents all on this building for a, for a beautiful place that we can come meet? Or are we going to give half of it to our community or more than half to our community to see ministries that are already happening happen? That's the heart behind what we're talking about. And I want to make something super clear and make sure we understand something today unless... Unless a church, unless the church is outreaching, unless a church has made the mission of God that you find in Scripture its mission, everything else it does is pointless and a waste of time and resources because there's no room for anything else. And I can tell, I can say this with full confidence as I read Scripture, because I went through with a fine-tooth comb that a church not engaged in the mission, a church not invested or owning the mission is outside of God's will. And it's time to understand that a Christian, the same way, not engaged in the mission, is also outside God's will. And that may have hit somebody in the heart, and, and you're like, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Like, I'm, I don't want to, I'm, I'm in trouble. Listen, it's okay. There's still time. What you do is you repent and you get on mission. That's it. Easy. Two steps. Beautiful. We'll give you time after service to do that. Tim Keller probably, uh, you know, I hate reading his books because he's way too smart, but he's very, he's very good um, in what, what he says and what the, in, his, um, in his books and things that he writes and says, but he said this about this same topic. He says, if you're a Christian and you refrain from committing adultery or from using profanity or missing church, but don't do the hard work of thinking through how to do justice in every area of your life, you're failing to live justly and righteously. Every area of your life. Thomas, is that on the, is that by there? Is it on the screen? Yeah, sorry. My bad. If you, it says, if you are a Christian and you refrain from doing all the things I don't want to do these things. I'm not going to do the bad things. I'm going to do the good things. If that's what you're focused on, you're missing it. That, that's what you're, you're missing it. Listen, a failure to show concern for the poor, the broken, the vulnerable, the orphan, those without a voice, and the lost, the people that don't know Jesus, shows a massive misunderstanding for the gospel. We have to see this. Let me be a little bit more clear, and I want to say this as nicely as I can. What I'm saying 
is if you don't have any concern in your heart for the lost. If you're a Christian here, say, hey, I'm Michael, I'm a Christian. I've been saved for 40 years, 10 years, five years, one year, whatever. And you don't have a concern for the lost in your heart, the broken, the orphan, the poor, the, the, the oppressed, then you don't get the gospel. What this means is either you're self-deceived from sin or, or you may be living in sin or there may be some things that you believe that aren't actually in Scripture or you may have an unregenerate heart and aren't saved. And it's time for Christians to get real about where they are in our culture. It's time for us to stop saying, hey, I'm a Christian because I go to church. That's not accurate. It's time for us to step up to the plate and say, God, where am I at with you? God, show me where I'm at and show me who you want me to be. And my question for us as a body, individually, let's just talk one-on-one for a second. What does your life say about your heart? What does your life say about your heart? The way that you treat people, the way that you love people, the way that you give, the way that you go, the way that you tell people about Jesus. Have you shared Jesus with anyone in in your entire life? Have you you shared the the hope that's found in the cross with anybody in your life? Because I want to tell you, what happens, and I've told this before, if we're not sharing the love of Jesus with someone, if we're not sharing the gospel with people, there's only two options. I've, I've, I've thought through this a lot. There's only two options. Either one, you hate people. I don't care about them. They can go to hell, whatever. Or two, you don't really believe the gospel. Because if you really believe the gospel, you would tell people about Jesus. It's important to understand that. What this means is that we have to get on the ball with this. Let's look at how God responds to the heart. We're going to look in uh, Amos. Yeah, we're going to Amos, baby. Judges last week and Amos this week, what's going on? So let's look how, how God responds to the heart that associates with God but ignores the needs of people. That's the American church. We associate with God and we kind of ignore the needs of people around us sometimes. When the prophet Amos, he confronted the nation of Israel about their neglect and even their oppression, they responded with excuses, excuse, excuse. Excuse, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but we're going to look at Amos. You can write this down if you want to look at it later. I'm going to look at Amos 3. I'll be in Amos 5 and Amos 6. But whenever Amos came, to, came on God's behalf to Israel and said, look, you, you, may, you may be my chosen people, but you're overlooking the oppressed. You're, you're oppressing people. Like you're, you're not responding to the needs around you. You're my people. You're my hands and my feet. You're supposed to be going and giving and loving and as we look at their excuses, they sound really familiar to the ones today. And first, you look in, uh, in chapter 3, though, the Israelites are talking, you know, basically more or less saying, look, we're God's chosen people. We're, we're God's chosen people. What, what are you talking about? Look, we're, in other words, what they were saying is we're forgiven. We're chosen by God. What do we need to do? Let's just sit here in the comforts of our, our chosenness and just sit and wait for God to come back and redeem us. But God responded that makes your sin even worse. You're not only, you not only knew me as lawgiver, you also knew me as father and as redeemer. And what he said in scripture is to whom much is given, much will surely be required. And then they tried their second excuse. Our religious vigor, our religious zeal makes up for our shortcomings. We go to church, we serve, we serve, we serve, we serve, we serve. We give, 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 we give. We do all these things. We do all these religious rituals. And if you know anything about Israel, Israeli history, you know at this point in history, Israel went to church all the time. Synagogues, temples, whatever you want to call them. 
and put on these big feasts and festivals at different times of the year. And they did all these things, but look in, you can look in Amos chapter 5, verse 21. Look how God responded. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. My gosh, Lord, take it easy. You know what I mean? Like that. He's saying your worship, I don't care. <laughs> doesn't, make, doesn't make sense to me because your life doesn't match your worship. Your life doesn't match your serving, your giving, your loving, your going. Your life doesn't match what your words are saying. We, we are using the same excuses today in the Big C Church when we, fall, we fail to show concern for our neighbor that's lost or poor or broken. I mean, isn't that the same excuse? Listen, we say or we think, we, we, may, we may do this. I know the American church does. Thank God he accepts us through grace. Hallelujah. Right? We love grace. Everybody like grace? I love grace. Grace is wonderful. We're not perfect. We're, we're forgiven. I ain't perfect. I'm just forgiven. Who's ever said that? Hashtag, I ain't perfect, just forgiven, right? hate that verse. Lord, that's not a verse. But we can't excuse ourselves by it with grace. You can't excuse yourself in grace. What that's called is cheap grace, and you can find that on TV. Listen, if, we're, if we've really been forgiven, we'll be more passionate about caring for the poor and fighting for the injustices, not less. It, it, will, it will ignite a fire in us because what forgiveness does, it, it's a catalyst that drives us deeper into the gospel. Forgiveness drives us deeper into the heart of God. And if we go deeper into the heart of God, love, mercy, peace, joy, all those things come out of us. They're not suppressed in us. And so we start having to ask the question, why am I, is, are there things in my life that I'm suppressing? Am I quenching the spirit as the spirit is trying to move in me? And if, if so, there's two things. God, am I saved? And if I am, is there sin in my life that's causing that to happen? Those are some questions you can start asking yourself because look how, look how God responds in Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Amos chapter 6, verse 1, he goes on and says, Woe to those who are at ease or complacent in Zion. Woe to those who are at ease or complacent in Zion. Do you hear that? Woe to those who are at ease. At ease, you can place it in Zion. Zion is the kingdom of God. For those of you who are just, that's a summary. It's, it's the kingdom of God. And this is saying to those who are at ease, lazy, stagnant, just going through the motions. Those who are playing games when so many around them are suffering. Those who seek to pad their own pockets before building the kingdom of God. Like Charles Spurgeon, my favorite, he identified three, he identified, he identified three groups of people that are at ease in the kingdom of God. And listen to this, We're, as, we, as we conclude here today, my heart would be that you would refocus for a second and hear this because there's, there's three groups that he identified. The first one was the apathetic. The apathetic. They just don't care. You know, they're, they're, they're Christians. They may be saved. They just don't care. It's just, they're not cruel or vicious people. They're not, they don't cuss or beat their wife or beat their husband these days, you know. They just don't think much about these things that don't affect them. I, you know, somebody across the world doesn't really affect me, so I'm going to just do my thing. Somebody in Chatham Apartments doesn't really affect me because I got my life and I got my family. It doesn't affect me. The person that's asking for money doesn't really affect me if I can just get past them. The person that's lost that I know about doesn't affect me because I'm saved. That's the apathetic. The second one is the self-indulgent. Like, listen, maybe they care, 
but they love money and prosperity too much to actually sacrifice anything for anyone else. I say that's a good portion of America. We indulge in ourselves to the point where we can't give and love and, and, and assist people that need it. Number three is the procrastinators. Amen, right? These people know they're supposed to do good. They know the Bible, they're, but they're lazy. They care enough to retweet or repost things that matter, but they never really do anything about it. Passivity. I know we've all struggled with passivity. I care. I know these scriptures. I love, I love Jesus. Jesus is moving. I wanna, I'm posting this. This is good. I got 75 likes. Awesome. But is my life living what I'm posting? There's a sermon in that, but we're all do that. Listen, we may not think we belong to any of these groups, but how many of us have failed to acknowledge the most desperate need of all that surrounds us? Ask yourself that question, please. The greatest position of privilege of all of us in this room, if you're a Christian, is that you know Jesus, you know the gospel, you know the gospel that saves us from sin, death, and hell, and yet there are people walking around the world who have never heard it. Has that moved our hearts to, to, to act? They don't even have access to it in some places in this world. Don't we owe them the gospel? Don't we owe them the gospel? Don't, don't we owe the people down the street who have been taught a, a false gospel or a heresy, don't we owe them the gospel? Have, we have to care. This morning, my prayer has been that this would, this would move your heart in some way, it would move my heart in some way, and that we would have a burden for people because we have to go. Because if we don't go, who's going to go? Because God has empowered the church to go, to give the gospel to people who are broken, homeless, or an orphan who are, who are lost and don't know, the, don't know Jesus. And I wonder if God would come into this place today and look at us, would he say, woe to you who are at ease in the kingdom. Woe to you who are coming in this place and worshiping. Would he look at all the attention that we give our worship services and says, I hate your worship services. I despise these church services that you do. Listen, if we're busier playing church than we are getting our hands dirty for the poor, the lost, and the broken, then that verdict is very possible. I'm terrified. I have recurring nightmares about standing before Jesus and not measuring up. It's saying, listen, I, I gave you all the opportunities in the world and you did nothing with them. That's my nightmare. I don't want to be in that position. I want to stand before God and say, God, I did everything I could to share your name with the world. I did everything I could to, to show love to the lost, the broken, the hurting, the person that's on the margins of our societies. And the way that you can tell if you've understood the gospel truly in your life is that you see people in need physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then you instinctively start pouring yourselves out for them. As we talked about last week, the best way for a church to do that, the best way for our church to reach our community and our world is to be together in this to be united around one purpose, and that is seeing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords exalted over all the world, starting in Savannah. Moving together with a laser focus to see the mission of God carried out. A unified church, guys, is unstoppable. A unified church is effective. And I promise, guys, if we would do this, 
In the next 10 years, our hearts will be to be a church that is planting people and ministries in this city that are effective and sustainable and that are moving to see the lost reached, the broken healed, the, 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 all these things that we're talking about. And we want to do the same things in cities around this area. We want to plant churches in and around the world as we send missionaries across the globe to reach the unreached people groups that we've talked about here multiple times. And we've talked about this, and a lot of you are like, why are we doing that? Listen, the mission of God is not, is not isolated to one location. It's all-inclusive. And our heart should be to go to our community, to go to our nation, and go to our world. And we can only go as far as we're invested and rooted in this mission of God that we keep talking about. It's all going to be determined on our level of investment. That's why we're doing this series called All In. Because we can only go as far as you carry the mission as your own and not Michael's mission. Not Connection Church's mission, but we own it together as a body, as a family, and walk it out together. We can only go as far as your, as your ownership allows. And my question for you is, will we be a church that changes the face of our community by our level of investment in the mission? I believe we will. But my question is, do you? Do you believe it? Do you believe that you are going to be able to see that happen? And it all comes back to those two questions that we asked at the beginning. Does God get the first and the best of your time, your treasure, and your talent? And then the second one was, is the, my relationship with God the one thing that drives everything else in my life? And so where are you today? There's a lot of information in there. There's a lot of just very um, hard topics to listen to and, and to think about. Because I know one thing, the, the moment that I start feeling uncomfortable in church is the moment I know God is probably trying to either convict me or cause me to change. And any time the gospel is shared in a body, any time the gospel is shared in public, it always requires a response. Always. It's never like, oh, here's this information. You do it what you want. There's a response that happens. And I want to tell you, not responding to the gospel is the rejection of the gospel. And it's important that we understand that, that seeing Jesus for who he is is important for us to see the mission of God come alive in our church. And so this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you may have been coming here a long time. You may have heard the gospel many times. But my, if, if you want to know more about who Jesus is, if you want to know more about what he's done to save you, we would love to talk with you about that. Last week, we had a young lady come up to the front after the service was over and she got saved. I forgot to share that with y'all. Sorry. That was two weeks ago. We've seen someone come to Christ, and it happened last week. And so if that's you this morning, if you've come with, with anger in your heart, with frustration in your heart, with, with things in your heart that you have no idea how to, how to deal with, we want to pray with you. There's people on the sides of the walls that are going to be here. I'll be over here. I want to walk with you through that, and we want to see you come into a relationship with Jesus because none of the stuff we talked about today can happen in your life until you're in a relationship with him, walking in step with him. Because he's the one that gives you the power to do it. He's the one that calls you to it. And he's the one that's going to see it to pass. And so this morning, I want to pray for you. And then as I pray, y'all come. And then also, if you just need to repent, if you need to pray, if you just need prayer for anything, this altar is wide open. And it's open for you to come lay things down. It's not a place of shame. It's not a place of gossip. It's a place of celebration. And it's a place of freedom. And so we love you. And so let's pray this morning. Uh, God, we love you so much. We're so honored to be able to be in your presence this morning, God. God, I pray for the person that's far from you today in this, in this place. I pray that you would just reach that person's heart right now and touch it in Jesus' name. God, that you would move 
in a way that's, that's mighty, Father. I pray that, God, that you would, you would allow fear to subside, that you would allow um, just uh, condemnation to subside, Father. I pray for the heart that is burdened right now, Father, the heart that is, that is beating 100 miles an hour because they know they need to move. They know they need to change something in their life. God, I pray that you would give them courage. You would give them wisdom. God, you would give them understanding. God, you would soften their heart and open their ears to hear the gospel. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come and speak truth into their life right now in Jesus' name, Father, that they would move from their seat to make a move towards you, Father. God, I pray for every person in every seat in this place, that God, that you would ignite a fire in their heart. God, that you would set them in motion on the mission, God, for the purposes that you planned for them on the day of creation. God, do not let us settle for mediocrity. Don't let us settle for the things that we try to comfort ourselves with. God, the only comfort that we find is in you. So God, we pray that we be that there are people in here today that find that today, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.